Hi, everyone. Today, I have my dad with me. Hi, dad. Hi, darling. Some of you may know, uh, my dad has Parkinson's disease. And what we're going to do is we're recording this episode five days before my dad is due to have deep brain stimulation surgery for the Parkinson's disease. He's going to be telling you all about his story. There's different symptoms that you can possibly have with Parkinson's disease, some of the complications, how it feels to be diagnosed with the condition, and, and a few other things as well. So this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So for everybody listening to this podcast, it's going to be a little bit different to usual. So for somebody with Parkinson's disease of my dad's level, communication can sometimes be a little bit tricky. Um, it could be that my dad may go off on some, potentially some quite long tangents. He's actually said to me just before we started, if I go off on a tangent, just bring me back kind of thing. And there's times he may need to pause and think about his answers sometimes. And he may need to pause sometimes, have a, a glass of water. I'm going to be editing the podcast just as usual, but what I'm hoping to do is not do any kind of really heavy editing. I want to leave in the, the pauses um, that my dad makes, um, potentially if he repeats the conversation or if he does go off on any of his tangents, because it's going to give you a really good insight as to what it can be like sometimes when you speak to somebody that has Parkinson's disease. There may be some times as well that I'll just um, maybe give my dad a little nudge, refocus him, and possibly even sometimes correct or try to help him recollect some of his um, sort of like memories of things that have happened in the past. Because with the different changes of medication that you can get with Parkinson's, it can sometimes affect um, the way that you see things and remember things. And um, it may just be that I need to just help him, as I say, just focus on um, focus on certain bits. But first things today, how are you feeling, Dad? Uh, I'm trembling like mad at the moment. It's quite interesting uh, seeing you on the Zoom video, I have to say. No one else is going to get this <laughs> to get this wonderful view that I'm seeing of you. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, there we go. No, gen generally, uh, I'm okay. It's just the tremors are driving me mad. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's, uh, I know that's the thing that sort of gets to you the most, isn't it? I think you said that it's even if you, even if you sort of like look as if you're not tremoring inside, it's just constant is is that right yeah yeah i've got them 24 7 yeah uh, you know you've got the external ones that people can visually see uh, but more subtle than that are the the internal tremors you know, me, yeah it means that me inside shake all the time there's there's mm. no respite it's just there constantly yeah, I know sometimes when um, mum said as well, sort of like that maybe she's put a hand on you or um, sort, of like to, sort of just an affectionate hand on you or something. And um, like at times that I've cuddled you as well, you maybe don't look like you're tremoring, but you know, you can, you can feel it, you know, on the inside yeah. that your muscles are just doing that constant kind of twitching. Yeah. Um, so just like to, to give everybody a bit of a background about you then. So you are currently 66. And yeah. you were diagnosed officially with Parkinson's disease in your early 50s. But I think, you know, we can all see that, you know, all of us have known you, obviously, all that time. We've, we can see that those symptoms, the very light symptoms, are actually there for many years before. I know when I was uh, little, um, so probably anywhere from about the age of you being like possibly even 35 to 40, you used to do um, this thing that was obviously quite, it, it was confusing as a child, but you used to do this fixated stare. And a lot of the time it would be that you'd sort of like just stare at a, a, a section on the floor, you know, and you would just stare at it for for ages and it was all and also your eyes would be quite open so you know you could really see the whites of your eyes and you wouldn't be blinking either 
And, you know, obviously to me as a child, it just, it was just like, well, that's my dad, you know, <laughs> doing that. And um, I think it was so, such a subtle thing. It wasn't sort of like, a, oh, you know, dad's doing a fixated stare. He must have Parkinson's. It, it, it didn't even trigger any of us to think anything. I was but, glaring at you. <laughs> I think everybody listening to this is probably going to fully appreciate that that's the case. <laughs> but for you, obviously, you know, what were for you sort of those kind of initial symptoms, the things that you sort of like remember made you sort of like think, hang on a minute, there's maybe something going on here. Well, strangely enough, I mean, Pauline used to mention it, you know, you're constantly staring and and I was never aware of it. You know, I wasn't conscious that I was staring, but on reflection, when you thought about it, yes, I must have been. Yeah. You know, I sat here probably 20 minutes, half hour, and even longer, just staring out the window at nothing. Yeah. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, my concentration had gone, my thought processes had gone. I was just effectively stood still or sat still, yeah. glaring, out, glaring out of the window. And one of, one of the things that the, the glaring uh, indicates is that with, with Parkinson's, it's not just a movement disorder. Yeah. It, has, it has other, other side effects as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, anyone can get it. There was no, there's no sort of inherit, inherited illness came my way. It was just, yeah. just, one, of the, or just one of the unlucky ones that it's, it, it's happened to. And I forgot what I was going to say now. It's all right. I was going to say, actually, it's what's quite interesting is obviously I know um, granddad, your dad, he did used to do a bit of the staring thing and, and his concentration went, but he was obviously quite a lot older than you in a sense when that started happening. And we have no idea if the Parkinson's maybe did come from, from him. But I do remember you telling me that, um, and I did quite a lot of research and obviously I did my environmental studies and there was a big thing about how certain chemicals have potentially can lead to people developing conditions like Parkinson's disease. And I remember you saying, because obviously you did grow up in farming country, about um, being, as a young lad, going into the turkey shed, having to mix some chemicals and run out as fast as you can. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it is something that was maybe environmental or maybe it's just one of those things that you've developed. I think, you know, it's, like you say, yeah. it, it's, it's often potentially inherited, but it can also just happen. But I know we were chatting originally about, and I was saying that you just, um, you mentioned about, you totally lost your thought there. We were chatting about um, the symptoms, so the early symptoms. So we actually had, had that fixated glare. And I think, just for anybody who's listening, there's a big difference between someone kind of switching off and staring, you know, sort of like outside and maybe having a moment just with the thoughts or maybe even sort of say switched off a bit. There was a big difference between that and what you experience as somebody with the Parkinson's yeah. disease. It is an absolute that in a sense, the body just, you just become in a sense a statue. Yeah. And one, um, go on. Yeah, so one of the things that happened, it was, you know, it affected me at, at work, certainly at work. You know, I was a policeman for 30 odd years. Yeah. Uh, and very uh, proud of you. Yeah. Thank you. What, what I used to find was, uh, if I was interviewing someone, not in the formal sense, it could be just interviewing a witness to a, an event or something like that, or it could be something more formal. And people would would start talking to me, but I'd quickly forget what they've just said. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was that was me just being a, a numpkin. Uh, <laughs> but it, things, things didn't get any better. 
so you know in conversation i could have a conversation with you in fact your last question i can't even remember what it was now it's okay dad uh we're just know. talking about your um your symptoms and your tremors yeah so yeah yes and I, I know that's a general theme yeah of what you're saying uh but you know i had that throughout my life so i was never particularly good at interviewing strangely enough and uh, despite that i managed 30 years of you know being involved in that type of situation yeah uh, but i never felt comfortable with it i was you know i was always felt uh, a, a lack of confidence in that area yeah uh you know and that that came through even in things like promotion promotion examinations and whatever that yeah. that would surface it would surface there absolutely no i'm sure i'm sure it's it obviously it's it's a condition that's going to affect every aspect of life in many ways i know with um obviously being in the police force you did your 30 years and then you went back as a civilian as well for a bit as well and part of being um in the police force especially at that time there was different in what's known as employee benefits so you did have um a critical illness cover for a while and i think when you were a police officer but then i think that that ended when you became a civilian i think just i'm not sure how but i, I think it yeah. ended and it was i think that ended just a little bit before you actually got your official diagnosis which was very frustrating of course um but you did have private medical insurance and um you were sort of because i think originally the the doctors could see a bit of a tremor and they said oh it's just maybe like a benign essential tremor yeah. and um and you know obviously um having my mum as your partner and as, you, as your wife you know a bit of a rottweiler at your side she kind of really was like no something more's going on and you were able to access the private medical insurance how was how was it for you when you were going for that kind of that assessment to find out was it were you kind of did you expect to be diagnosed with parkinson's disease did you think mum was just being a fuss over nothing what what kind of well, what were your thoughts strangely enough uh i thought i had a, a nerve trapped in my shoulder uh, of all stupid things to link to your brain, but that's what I thought. That's not uh, stupid. Uh, so I went to see I went to see my GP, and he said, "No, I think there's something more neurological uh, yeah. to this." Uh, so I went, not expecting at all to get a diagnosis of Parkinson's, but as soon as uh, as soon as I met the doctor at York, it was it was weird because he stood away from me, and. And he walked behind me as I walked into the room, and and, and I'm all suspicious of people like that. So yeah, well, police officer, thirty years, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so I turned, I turned around to to sort of watch him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he, he ushered us to sit down, which which I did. And you know, he asked the question, "Why have you come to see me?" I said, "Well, I think I've got a trapped nerve in my shoulder," and and I put that down to the fact that over the over the years. I'd had many a rough and tumble with uh, with people in yeah. the street, uh, and on one occasion, uh, one person had rolled me over the bonnet of the car. Yeah, and I landed in the middle of my back on the curbstone. Yeah, uh, and that really hurt, and and it seemed to seem to that was the only thing I could pin it to. Yeah, at that time, and uh, anyway, he, he just took one of me. He says, "He says you haven't got a nerve trapped in your back." He says, "You've got Parkinson's disease." Yeah, and uh, I was not expecting that at all. No, I, I mean I knew nothing at all about it, other than the fact that people people who had it had tremors. Yeah, uh, but I found out since it's obviously more subtle than that, and it's more profound than just a tremor. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he did a series of tests, 
of my coordination yeah uh, and uh, found that uh, parts of my uh, parts of my limbs weren't functioning as they should do yeah I was dragging me I was dragging my left arm yeah uh, which I, I I wasn't conscious of uh, and I did he did a test of touching my finger my thumb to my middle finger yeah and tapping it complete continually first in the left hand then in the right hand and in the right hand it was great it did it all the time there was yeah. no break there's no interruption but then when i did it with my left hand i started off but within about three or four seconds the signal wasn't getting through to my fingers uh and and i thought oh that's weird yeah you know and i thought that's that's rather peculiar and uh, subsequently later found out it was probably the answer to the question as to why i was having difficulty changing gear in the car yeah uh i'd go i'd go to change gear i'd be telling my leg to to move to change gear to put the clutch down mm. and nothing would happen my leg would stay still yeah uh and and it suddenly began to realize that the there's the the parkinson's affected one side of my brain to a, a large extent mm. and to the other side of the brain a less extent and i don't know if you're aware but one your left hand side of your brain controls your right right hand functions yeah uh, uh and uh and vice versa yeah uh now, what was I going to say? I've gone off on a tangent again, haven't I? It's okay. Um, the thing is, this is really, really useful because a lot of people won't know a lot of these things. And I think what's standing out as well is that, you know, we all kind of thought that there was maybe some symptoms there. We didn't know what it was. Everything to us, in a sense, seemed, there seemed like something, but, you know, we didn't know. And, but then, you know, the fact that as well, you just literally a specialist saw you walk into a room and just said you've got Parkinson's disease. So even though to us the symptoms were quite subtle, obviously for a professional, it obviously really stood out that they, they could see that. I know you did have um, MRIs done, and um, I know that wasn't your favorite thing in the world to go in the MRI machine, so you did obviously incredibly well to do that. And I think as well, that in itself is, is quite a task because, you know, you are tremoring and you have to stay still. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of pressure as well on you to try and really, obviously, I, th I think sometimes for, for you, and I'm not saying this is the case for everybody, but I know sometimes your tremors, to say like we maybe be at a dining room table and we'll be eating dinner together, and your knife and fork can be doing the absolute greatest kind of drum solo going <laughs> when you're trying to eat your food. And we'll maybe say to you, and I'll maybe go, so like, oh, mum will say, you know, I'll, you know, Roo, or I'll say, dad, you know, you're tremoring quite a bit. So you won't, you, for, for you, you're tremoring, but you're actually not noticing the tremoring. And you're also not noticing the sound of the cutlery on the plate. Mm. But then when we say to you, and for, I don't know, I don't know how it works, but you know, when you sort of like have that kind of, um, oh, okay. And you seem to be able to sometimes for, for, you know, to sort of like kind of reset and control it. I mean, that could be that you, you may be able to control it even, I mean, it's mainly just only 10 seconds or something. And then the tremor will maybe start a bit, but it seems, you know, sometimes you, you just, I think it must be very, very tiring to, to in a yeah. sense, be battling yeah. the tremors. It's, it, it is. I mean, uh... I've mentioned before, twenty-four seven. I've got them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what I, what I need to do is, is when I'm when I'm like that, is to reset myself, stand up, have a wander around, you know, just to have a shakedown, yeah. get 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 it out of my body uh, as much as I can, 
but it, it's difficult because sometimes uh, I get I get awful sensations that run through my skin. In fact, when when I first was diagnosed, I used to feel as if there was a thousand ants walking over and crawling over my arms. Yeah, and it drove me. I say it drove me nuts. I wanted to scratch my arms. Yeah, uh, all the time. Uh, but it was just a niche. Uh, but it was it was very very powerful was this itch yeah that, that could have been the parkinson's or it could have been the medication uh i don't suppose we'd never know i don't suppose we'd ever know that but uh sometimes the uh I'd, what's known as wearing off if you when your tablets when you've had your tablets say for four hours and you do another one there's a period of time where you you prop your body will probably crave that tablet yeah. again uh, and you, your body starts reacting by wearing off and you get all, all sorts of symptoms crop up and one of the most difficult ones to deal with uh, is it, to be honest I could almost cry every time it happens because it's yeah it, it's it's so so profound it really it really does upset me okay and that's uh if you can imagine, uh, you have a hole in your in your in your, in your feet, yeah, and all your body energy is draining down through every single muscle from your face, through your arms, through your fingers, through your body, through your legs, through your toes, and it's draining down and out through your feet, yeah. and it's tingling as it does this, uh, and you just feel, I just feel as if I think my time's come. Yeah. That, that can happen two or three times a week. It's a it's a most awful sensation, yeah. uh, and it can take me it can take me a couple of hours to get over it. It 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 just it wipes me out physically and mentally. I, I usually end up having to go and have a, a lie down and a rest. Yeah. If 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 this if the uh, because this feeling goes on for about half an hour to an hour, and. Uh, it's it's just awful, yeah. But it, it's 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 part of the wearing off apparently of uh, of the medication. I suppose it's. I know you take a lot of medication. We'll chat a little bit about that as well. But I suppose you know have to take them really regularly. And I think a big thing is is that you know for people who are listening with the the medication, you know, from the different things we've been talking, you, you do see a Parkinson's specialist and a Parkinson's nurse. It is so essential for people with Parkinson's to have their medication at the exact right time each day. It, you know, it can't. It's not even meant to really be a minute off, because this feeling of in a sense they're on a constant kind of they have the medication so the body gets that boost of what they need and it's kind of then on a constant come down until that next set of medication um if i go, if i go if i can yeah of course if i go back to when uh, when i was first diagnosed and i started to learn a little bit about about these things what what i found was uh, and it, it happens with everyone uh, everyone has a substance called dopamine mm -hmm. which is released in the brain uh, and this dopamine, it uh, it helps the motor functions of the body, the movement. Uh, you know, so if you're slowing movement, it's come as a result of do some do dopamine uh, lack, uh, lack of dopamine. Now, I mentioned before about the left and right-hand side of the brain. Yeah. In one side of my brain, my dopamine levels were down to 20%. Yeah. That meant 80% of the dopamine wasn't getting 
wasn't being used. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, 20%, it was down to 20%. So there was an imbalance there, if you like. And of yeah. course, because I was having difficulty on my left arm, that meant that the right-hand side was the one with the bigger, uh, uh, bigger amount, larger yeah. amount, the 80%. Yeah. And, and I thought, how am I alive at eight, with 80% of my brain function gone? Yeah. Uh, but it, it, was, it was only controlling uh, the, mo the motor functions. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know, people should realize the uh, thing is with Parkinson, it's not just about tremors as well. There is, there is the other side of it as well. Uh, there are lots of aspects of it. I know we were talking about bits of the cognitive side of things. I know you mentioned a little bit about the interviews at work now. I remember quite a few times when I was younger, you know, you'd maybe say about conversations or maybe interviews that you'd had at work. And, you know, you were very well regarded. Um, you were, you know, people would come to you to do double checks. I know you said your concentration in interviews and doing things like that you weren't happy with, but you were in a sense... Um, almost kind of like what I'd, I'm a bit of a compliancey type person. If I say it like that, then people, especially within the insurance world, will understand what I'm meaning. Um, so, you know, it was obviously a bit of like a, what's known as a case checker and you were doing lots yeah. and lots of things and really, you know, finding some incredibly potentially even minute details that other people may not have seen and, you know, really, really good at checking those reports. And you obviously you'd been doing it for, for 30 years, you know, incredible amount of knowledge. And then you would go for interviews and you wouldn't get the, the jobs, you know, sorry, well, the different types of roles. And one of the things that you got fed back was that people were saying to you, you know, there were, there were friends of yours, people you'd known a long time, people who were just like saying, oh, Richard's got this, he's absolutely got this. But then in the interview, they'd say, well, you know, we, knew, we know that you know this and we know that you have all the experience, you absolutely had this, but in the interview, you kind of went off on a tangent and you didn't answer what we'd asked. I mean, I know that was very, very frustrating for you at the time because obviously to you, you had answered exactly what they'd wanted, you know, because in, in your mind, you were answering what they'd asked for. Um, I mean, how is that? How does that feel, that kind of, I suppose, frustration and confusion that people are saying to you one thing and you are answering them absolutely perfectly but then the feedback is, well, actually, no, you've, you've not answered what we've asked. That, that must be very, very hard to kind of yeah, settle it, in your mind. Yeah. They, uh, that was that, that one, that one, that on that particular occasion, uh, it was, uh, I'd, I'd made a, an application for promotion to the rank of inspector. Yeah. I, was, I was already a sergeant and had been for a number of years. Uh, but this was to the rank of inspector. And incidentally, we talk about memory. Uh, when I'd actually taken the promotion examination for that, mm -hmm. uh, my, my mark, I came second highest mark in the country. Good for, for, the, you. For, for you. know, in that particular year. So I was, I was very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, but when I went for the interview, it, you know, I knew the type of interview it would be. It would be a case of, this is a situation. Uh, can you give us an example? of when you might have dealt with this type of situation before. And that was to give the assessors time to assess my skill set, yeah. if you like. Uh, give you a practical, uh, a practical example to, to demonstrate that I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And my mind went blank, completely blank. Yeah. 
I couldn't, I couldn't think of the answers. And I thought, this is stupid. Why can't I? And, and the, the, the three people, the officers, senior officers who were on the panel, yeah, I knew them all personally. I'd worked with them. I'd served with them. Uh, they'd obviously risen up the, the, the rank structure uh, faster than I had. Yeah. Uh, and the, the situation being, I knew that they knew that I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. But because I wasn't actually describing it to them, they couldn't take that for an yeah. answer. Uh, so they had to they had to mark me accordingly. And what I found was every single question that they asked me, I thought, well, oh, that's pretty easy. And then I tried to get some words out to demonstrate what, what my experience yeah. to illustrate that. And there was nothing there. There was nothing coming forward. And I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, I mean, I've, I've been a law instructor for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, I knew my law. Yeah. Uh, I knew procedures uh, because ever since I joined, I had the mantra, do it right first time. Yeah. Get, get things right first time. Uh, whether that's dealing with an incident or writing up the reports afterwards, if you do it right mm -hmm. the first time, you're going to save yourself a lot of hassle. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, the interview concluded. I stood up and I said to the panel, I'm, I'm going to say this now, in all seriousness, I don't want you to mark my exam, right. my, my interview. Uh, I'm very embarrassed by this. Uh, you know as well as I do what my experience is, but I haven't demonstrated it today. So yeah. I don't want you wasting time writing up a report, which is clearly not going to, not going to lead anywhere. Okay. Uh, I said, I'll let, I'll, I'll take your feedback in due course. Yeah. Uh, you know, which was the which was the norm, and I walked out of the room uh, and into a, into a dining area where there was a television uh, on display, mm. and it was showing the twin towers coming down live on television. Right. And I thought, well, that says it all about life. Yeah. You know. What, what is this promotion for? What am I actually doing it for? And, uh, and I couldn't answer that. Yeah. But seeing the Twin Towers coming down, it was 9-11, yeah. the, the actual 9-11 day. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I couldn't believe what was happening in New York. Yeah. Uh, and I went home. I came home stunned. Yeah. You know, I was, I was just... It, it affected me quite deeply because I was thinking, you know, all them people, poor people that had been murdered yeah. in that situation. Uh, and here am I worrying about getting the promotion. Well, I wasn't going to worry anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I made a decision at that point. That's the last time I'm ever going to bother going for a job interview. Or, you know. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, so be it that that, that became the, the thing. And... Uh, of all things, I actually counted, uh, I created a, a countdown calendar. Yeah. There's 321 days on it to my retirement. I sat there. <laughs> I sat there at work and I calculated how many days it would be till I could officially retire. And it was just, uh, just on three years. Yeah. 321 days. 
and I yeah. counted a 321-day calendar, <laughs> which I had on my office desk, uh, on my office wall, and I ticked them off religiously every day uh, until you. until my time came. Strangely enough, I then worked an extra nine months. I don't know why. <laughs> I was going to say you did, and then you went back as a civvy as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The job I was doing at the time was you mentioned. I think you mentioned it earlier. Checking case files. Yeah. Uh, checking the paperwork, if you like, uh, before it went on to, you know, I had the authority to to discontinue cases that had been, that already started. Uh, mm. I had to review them for evidence. I had to review them for uh, to make sure that they, they met the, the standards that were set yeah. legally uh, and whether or not there was a public interest to continue the matter or, yeah. discon or discontinue the matter, depending on which. Following national guidelines and working closely with the CPS, I became very good at it. Very, yeah. I would say almost expert at it. Yes. Uh, so when I when I actually retired, I had that skill set uh, that I was then able to take forward when they decided to civilianize that role I was doing. Yeah. Uh, it was known as a a decision dis can't, can't say it decision <laughs> decision maker. Yeah. In the criminal justice unit, and uh, that became my job when I became a civilian. Yeah. Uh, and then ultimately. Uh, regrettably, uh, I was facing re redundancy. Uh, but after this length of period of time, uh, my my health generally was was on a decline. Yeah. Uh, because of the because of the Parkinson's, things started to sort of creep in and mm -hmm. uh, cause me personal uh, pers personal difficulties. Yeah. If you like, and uh, you know, you know, well, quite quite happy to talk about them, but it's it's up to you, Dad. It's completely obvious. It depends upon what you feel comfortable doing. But I think we can obviously say as well at this point that you did obviously retire, and uh, obviously you did um, you did that mainly as well for, for your health because it did start to really. Um, struggle at that point and I think as well you know as well as having the Parkinson's and obviously we won't go into too much detail of anything because obviously there's always um uh, like the secrecy act and all that kind of things um mm. is that you know I think people you know they don't understand sometimes say like somebody in a position like yourself exactly what you have to face every day so obviously with the checking the reports checking the evidence you know there are for many many years well over 10 years or so I would imagine at least um, your job was to see things and to read things that nobody should ever have to see or read. Mm. And, you know, I think, again, everybody who's listening would be absolutely grateful that you were in that position. And, and it feels like such a, it feels like such a sad kind of end in a sense to, to your career that obviously you did that and, you know, you were doing something which is incredibly hard to, to do um, and incredibly hard, you know, it's like emotionally and mentally to face that um, every day. Um, and then to find that you have Parkinson's disease and in a sense, when you come to your time to retire, when you're expecting to like, you know, I've done all this, I've really helped society to then retire and actually face, face a lot of difficulties. Um, so something I think that people may not be aware of as well is um, how much medication can affect somebody who has Parkinson's disease. So 
I know, Dad, you take a lot of medication and that it has been changed and tweaked a significant amount through the years. Mm. So when people take the medications, it can take about three months for them to actually reach a stage where they're working properly. So it could be that, you know, I've had, I know you've had it before where you've took a medication for three months and then they've said, right, we're going to change you. Obviously, this is happening. You may be getting this side effect. Or sometimes there has been, in a sense, some um, personality changes um, and then they've said right we're going to tweak it and put you onto this you know one so then in a sense you're having to withdraw off one set of combinations to then get up to the full effect of another one and I know there's been a few things in there and um, I know we've chatted a little bit about me uh, being able to share this so thank you so there was a time where I know that you were put on some medications and I know that you felt absolutely amazing and you felt so so good but you actually became very, very angry and um, were very much not yourself. Um, and, uh, and obviously you had to change off that medication. And, and I think the difficulty again is that was quite hard at that time for you. And obviously correct me if I say anything that you don't agree with or you think I'm wrong with. But I know that was really hard for you because to you, you felt amazing. You know, you couldn't see this anger that you had. And people were saying to you, well, you're going to have to change your medication. So you just got to this point where you felt amazing. And then you were having to change your medication and the medication change meant that you were on new medications, which meant that you weren't angry, but you know, you weren't feeling anywhere near as good. So I think there was almost in some ways, not in, not in a bad way, but I think there was almost a kind of a bit of a resentment that, you know, that, that this had changed because, you know, you felt amazing. There was nothing wrong. You know, you, you weren't angry, you know, even though we could see it, you weren't that. And, and I know that there's been a few other things as well to so say like, um, you had a medication for a while that made you really, really obsessed about clothes shopping. And um, just for everyone is listening, my mum has said very specifically that she wants me to mention that he bought 86 shirts. He wasn't working at this point. He bought 86 shirts, and I think the majority of them weren't worn, <laughs> and we did donate to charity in the end. And I know I think there was quite a few leather jackets as well, maybe. Um, and, you know, from the outside, we could see that your behavior wasn't – I mean, you've not had – I know sometimes the behaviors can become quite – I know they may even seem extreme, but sometimes they can become quite an unhealthy extreme. Um, and for you, you know, you were in a position where – Yes, you know, obviously spending that kind of money on the shirts and everything wasn't brilliant, but, you know, you were able to, to be okay, um, you know, financially. And it was over quite a long time period as well. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's, again, it's one of those things that people don't, you know, you, again, when you hear Parkinson's, you think tremor, you don't think you're necessarily being obsessive over certain things or the, what the medications can do. I know at the moment you are massively obsessed with jigsaws, which I think is a really positive thing. It's obviously it's your coordination. It's your concentration. I know you've had a little bit of issues though, um, with your legs recently, because in a sense you are sitting way too long, potentially hours at a time doing jigsaw puzzles. And again, time like with the staring time's kind of lost for you i mean what, what's it in a sense it could sound a bit strange but in a sense what is time like for you uh well i've got to manage my time uh yeah, all the time <laughs> excuse, <laughs> excuse me the pun is that uh, right? but i mean uh, i mean i was at one point taking 19 tablets a day yeah uh, i'm now taking 15 uh, and the uh, there were a mixture of reasons why I was taking those that amount was I had my Parkinson's medication. Yeah, I won't I won't use brand names. 
No, so no, of that, course. So, so we don't get sued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where was I? You were talking about you've just gone down to 15 medications. Yeah, 15 medications. So some, some were me from directly related to my Parkinson's. Yeah. Uh, and what they were supposed to do is they were called dopamine agonists. Okay. Uh, and what they were supposed to do was mimic the effects of dopamine. Yeah. So to bring my dopamine levels back up to where they should be. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yep. So I started, they started me off on a low dose and uh, gradually worked my way up to try and get myself leveled off. And it can take three, three, four, five, six, six weeks mm. for them to actually take it, take effect. Uh, and uh, on one of the, the, the other drugs, that I was taking at that time and still do, uh, things that help keep the, the, the gut mm -hmm. in check because the, 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 the Parkinson's drugs are very powerful indeed. Yeah. They, they really are. Uh, and uh, the, the other drugs are there to counter the, the effects mm -hmm. of, the, of the powerful drugs. So they, you know, they help keep my stomach under control. Yeah. Or at least I thought that's what they were doing. Uh, uh, but what I subsequently found was that one of the, uh, you mentioned the 86 shirts. Yeah. I didn't go out and buy 86 shirts all at once. <laughs> now that would have been a shopping spree I'd have been proud of. <laughs> but I did buy the 86 shirts. Yeah. <laughs> because I needed them. I know you needed them. I know. <laughs> The fact that some of them didn't fit wasn't wasn't relevant. Yeah, it doesn't matter they were the wrong size. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. They <laughs> you were, were enjoying bargain. yourself. I know. <laughs> they were a bargain. That's part of the northern man in you as well, isn't it? Though there was a bargain yeah. shirt there. You're not going to miss that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that was the, if you like, part of the fixation that you could get uh, out of out of you know, taking Parkinson's medications. And of course, the other side effect is. Uh, they can lead to people having a propensity to, to gamble. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't gamble. Yeah, we're lucky uh, we didn't get that. Yeah, we, we did get it. It can, have, uh, it can have effects on sexual behavior. Yeah. I don't uh, want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll stop there then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, where, where else is Oh, I forget off the top of my head now. Yeah, uh, but be lots of things. Yeah, uh, and of course, we uh, we mentioned this to the uh, consultant who said you're going to have to come off those. Yeah. Oh, immediately. No, uh, there was a there was another side which I forgot to mention. Uh, probably the most important one of all was I was I became quite an angry person, and yeah. I was awful. I was awful to your mum. Well, I. I I think, yeah, but the thing is, it wasn't you. You know, I think yeah. it was, it was, it was absolutely the medication. I mean, your, your mum says, Pauline says that there's the normal me, yeah. the normal Richard, and there's the parky Richard. Yeah. And in that phase of my life, I was in the parky Richard. Yeah. Phase. And uh, when the consultant just took me off these, this particular drug, what I didn't realize was going to happen. Uh, was I said, what are you going to replace it with? And he says, well, like, he says, I can't yet because 
I've got to wait until the effects of the current drug you're taking are out mm. of your system, and that'll take three months. Yeah. Uh, because, it, you know, they, once you start taking tablets, they go to the molecular level in your brain. Yeah. As deep-seated as that, and it has to clear, it has to flush it, its way out of your brain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because the, the, new, the next drug that I will be put on uh, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. They'd yeah. counter, they'd knock each other out. Yeah. They'd cancel each other out, so they'd be of no benefit. Uh, and uh, and of course, physically and mentally, I would be yeah. I would be upside down. Absolutely. But it turned out, it turned out when I went into when I came off this drug, I went through three months of absolute hell. Yeah. Uh, I. It's the darkest place I've ever been to in my life, yeah. and you know, and you know, I do get upset occasionally from from talking about it, but I will do. Yeah. Uh, all I wanted to do was sleep, yeah. and I didn't. I didn't care whether or not I was going to wake up or not. I know. You know, it was as it was as bad as that. I I was just hoping that at some point uh, I would die. Then I'd be then I'd be free of all the difficulties that I've been having. I know. Uh, and uh, anyway, I wish I could. They, 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 yeah, they they told me what I was going through and experiencing was the equivalent of coming off cocaine. Yeah. Now I've never taken cocaine or any other drugs for that matter, yeah. other than other than prescribed drugs. So I wasn't aware of what that would be like. But if if it was like I experienced, then I'm a good, sure uh, advocate not to take illegal drugs <laughs> because of the effect. I, I mean, I saw it for thirty odd years when I was in the job. Yeah, of the course. Effect of, the effect of illegal drugs. Uh, but here we are with a prescribed drug, and uh, subsequently. What happened was it was it was apparently known that this drug had this side effect of making people angry. Yeah. 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 And it was one of the things that it was people had a propensity to sort of pick up, uh, and eventually they, they withdrew it, so it's no longer available. Yeah. But as you said right at the beginning, it was brilliant. <laughs> I was going to say I know you felt amazing. I don't think you've ever felt like that I felt, again. I felt alive. I felt absolutely alive. But I was on a different planet. Yeah. Uh, no. You know, I was in my own in my own little world. Thank you for being so open and honest. There, obviously, it's, it's really hard as your daughter to to hear that. But I do, I, obviously, I do appreciate. You know, and it, I appreciate obviously the way that you felt at the time, and obviously, I saw how you were at the time as well. And I think that's, um, I think that's a really, really open account of it. So, thank you so much for sharing that, Dad. Mm -hmm. um in regards to things like the parkinson's symptoms as as we said you know before people will automatically i think think of the tremors that would be the most obvious clue for people we've mentioned about the staring there can be kind of a bit of a in a sense of blankness a bit of an emotionlessness 
that's not a word, but you know what I mean, to the face sometimes. Mm. Something for you as well, some side effects you've had is that you have lost your sense of taste and smell. So there's mm. some extra things about that that maybe people don't think of. You know, um, we immediately had to make sure there was no... Um, you know, there was a gas fire in the house and uh, we had to immediately make sure that that wasn't um, connected anymore uh, because you, you would never have known if the gas was on. Um, we had to be so, so careful with that. Um, there's other things as well. So just going back a little bit towards the medications as well and like the concentration side of things. There was a good time as well when um, obviously my boys, when they were a lot younger and even now still, you know, like you say, the Parkinson's medication is very, very strong. And, you know, there were times sometimes where, I'd maybe come to your home or something, or you'd maybe be at my house, and I would find the medication possibly on the floor. And you would absolutely swear down that you had had all your tablets and that you hadn't dropped any, that you'd absolutely counted them out and things like that. And you would have no, you would, you know, genuinely yourself, you would have no, there was no sort of like, oh, I've been caught out, I've been naughty not having a tablet. <laughs> it was absolutely, you were sure that you'd had that tablet. And it was actually within space of the children, which could have been very, very serious. So there was, it was a good time where, um, you know, in a sense, I couldn't leave the children alone with you. Mm. Um, and especially when they were very, very little. Obviously, as the children are getting older, it's, it's, it is obviously much, much easier. But, we, you know, we had to take a lot of extra steps that people probably wouldn't think about. I know another thing that you've experienced as well is what's known as, in a sense, the Parkinson's pause. And I believe that happened during an airport with my mum. I think it's happened a few times, but that was the main one I could think of. And I'm, I'm just saying this for people so they can maybe mm. understand a few extra things as well. But I know with that one, in a sense, you kind of you kind of forgot to walk, in a sense. You just stood and you, you just couldn't walk. So what mum had had to do was kind of... Can I? Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, because there's too much coming for me. Uh, okay. In that, in that lot. So if I can just break it down a bit. Yeah. Sorry. I was. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the, the the regarding the tablets. Yes. My head was telling me, I've taken the tablets. Yeah. So they shouldn't be on the floor. Yeah. Uh, but how have they got there? And and I couldn't work that out. Of course. Because as uh, I was certain that I'd taken my tablets on time. Uh, and uh, and of course that is. One of the, if you don't take your tablets, you don't get the benefits yeah. of it. And and, uh, and and you and you mentioned earlier about it. You've got to take them, even a, a, a pause of a few seconds. You've got to think that your brain, whatever medication you're taking, is given for a reason. Yeah. And your your brain becomes accustomed to having that amount of drug at uh, at certain periods of the day yeah uh and uh once that drug has worn off your yeah. body starts to crave it yeah uh and uh i was gonna say so taking the tablets on time became something that was it was it was i was frustrated i was really cheesed off with everything yeah uh, to do with the illness and taking me medication. Uh, I, I resented it. Yeah. Uh, but I knew I had to do it. So we came up with the idea of uh, having a little door set box where yeah. I could divide my tablets up, up for all my tablets for the for the day. Yeah. Uh, prepared in advance the night before. And I still do, I still do that today. Uh, 
And uh, well, what was I thinking of? And it's okay, Dad. Oh, yeah. Your mum keeps on top of me with that. She, oh, that, that was it. I have made an alarm set on my mobile phone. Yeah. To indicate the time when a, the next tablets are due. Yeah. Whatever the tablet is, uh, an alarm will ring beforehand. Yeah. But, but I still forget to take them. Yeah. yeah. So your mum is usually there, <laughs> biting at my heels. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you're at my house, it's me going, Yeah. Dad, your mobile phone's going off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's because I get distracted very easily. I know. And that's what happened. Uh, Something else you just mentioned about. I mentioned the, the Parkinson. Oh yeah, the gas. <laughs> Sorry, I was wondering where you're going there with that. Yes, I mentioned the gas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're in Susie's Susie's flat, and uh, Susie's uh, is the daughter, by the way, to the listeners. Yeah, yeah. We're in her flat, and someone someone said they wanted a cup of tea or something. I can't remember now, off the top of my head. But I went into the kitchen, and I didn't turn it on, but someone put the gas burner on to boil some water. Uh, Susie, Susie didn't have a kettle at that time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after a few minutes, I think it was Pauline came into the room and said, "Oh my God, the, the room's full of gas." Yeah. What are you doing? And I says, "I don't know. I hadn't realised that the flame had blown out because it was near yeah. an open door. The flame had blown out, and the, the room had continued to fill with gas." Yeah. Uh, so anyone who'd walked into that kitchen with a lighted match, yeah, would have gone have. would have gone boom, in a big big way. Yeah. Uh, hence, uh, I mean, we have central heating. I guess central heating now, but that's that that's it. That's very different. Yeah, it's very different with the pilot lights and everything. The safety mechanisms that are in place. Um, but yeah, I think you know, really, really good example there, Dad. And I think as well, the other thing with the loss of. Um, taste and smell as well that I think is important especially now is that obviously that is seen as one of the biggest clues that somebody has coronavirus and obviously yeah. you can't have that another thing for people to understand as well is that if food started to go off slightly um then you're not going to be able to tell and yeah mm. and obviously as well and you can't taste it as well mm. so my mum also she has some things where she can't eat a lot of certain types of food which obviously you love dad um and um, and yeah, it's very, very hard, obviously, to make sure that everything is okay and safe. The yeah. other thing I was just starting to mention was the Parkinson's pause that you experienced. Oh, yeah. Where, in a right. sense, you, you stopped yeah. walking. Do you want to explain yeah. that? Yeah, we're, we're in, uh, in a Pisa airport waiting yeah. to come. We've been on holiday to Italy. And uh, we were in Pisa airport coming back. And there was no problem with me traveling. There was, the insurance was covering me. And yeah. there was no no difficulty legally for me for me traveling there and uh, it came to the point in time where Pauline and I had separated a little bit uh, we stood a, stood about a length a room's length apart or something like that yeah. and the call came to go to board the plane and you know what it's like it's just a mad rush yeah when when you get that call and the call came and I went to move forward and I couldn't move I, I froze on the spot yeah, uh, my legs just wouldn't move, and I thought this is ridiculous. What's happened? Yeah, uh, and I thought it can't be the crowd around me because, you know, I'd just shove them out of the way. Yeah, 
But my, my legs had sort of jammed solid. Uh, and uh, your mum shouted at me. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds so... <laughs> I can just imagine you know. the tone and the inflection and everything. Yeah. <laughs> She, sh she shouted at me to move forward to put one step in front of foot in front of the other, and I couldn't do it because yeah. the commotion of all these people around me—it's too uh, much. It was just too much. I can't stand the commotion. Yeah. And uh, anyway, this—I think it was an Italian lady—bellowed out in something in Italian, and it was like the parting of the, the Red Sea. Yeah. You know, the the crowd just sort of opened up. And allowed me to go through, but with Pauline sort of had come to sort of yeah. lead me to lead me through, and uh, that was that was strange, but a very yeah. unsettling period because I'm thinking if I if I'm out on my own and something like that happens, yeah, I'm going to become a statue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know Mum was chatting to me about it afterwards, and she sort of had had read a, a tip. Obviously, she's done lots of research about Parkinson's since the mm. diagnosis, and I know that she said that's one of the things that she did then with you is that um, she kind of, if, if people can imagine, if you're if you were standing with your feet facing one way, Dad, um, then Mum had put her foot in front of your feet, um, kind of going across where your feet were, and she said to you to step over her foot. And said, you know, and the focus is, you know, not just, don't just keep saying walk, you know, come on, walk, move your legs. It was step over mum's mm. foot. And that kind of helps to trigger the, you, you sort of feel that, that kind of what, I don't know, processes that you need to be able to move forward. But um, I know um, the biggest, what I think is probably one of the biggest kind of potential side effects. We don't know absolutely for certain it's a side effect, but it is sort of like leaning as if it is absolutely so, um, is that last year you continue to experience a twisted bowel um, that was obviously very much complicated by the Parkinson's disease because, again, people listening may think twisted bowel, that doesn't sound very nice. And obviously it was not nice for you at all. So right. lots of pain, lots of discomfort and lots of trips to the hospital to have procedures done to alleviate that. But a big thing as well is the fact that the Parkinson's medication is absorbed through the bowel. Right. So as this is happening and you're potentially there, you know, with this twist where nothing is getting through for, for quite a few days at a time, that's a huge impact upon your medication as well and mm. your ability to, to cope with the Parkinson's disease as well as a twisted bowel. And mm. I think it's fair to say that, you know, last year you were obviously rushed for sort of, in a sense, emergency surgery to a hospital about an hour's um, uh, drive from us um, due to it happening far too regularly and it got a little bit intense, I think. And um, I think we both were of the opinion at that point that um, I think we gave each other a cuddle at that point and sort of just uh, just kind of nodded and looked at each other and were prepared for for things to not go as, as we hoped. Um, and I, again, I mean, what's it like when you, you know, obviously you've got Parkinson's to deal with. What's it like when yet another thing suddenly starts to come up? Well, to be honest, uh, I've never been a fit person in all my life. You know, I'm certainly no Usain Bolt. <laughs> uh, I had a number of ailments. I mean, I was doubling continent at one point. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, I had a Terps operation on my prostrate yeah. to alleviate the, uh, th that side of it, and that worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, 
but he continued with uh, constipation incontinence to do with uh, to do with the bowel. Yeah. And one of the things that I learned from that was that when you eat your food, it goes into your gut, and then yeah. has to then has to transit through your intestines and into your colon and into your bowel and and yeah. out. Uh, and with it being a movement disorder, things slow down. Yeah. So the the medications you just mentioned is absorbed in the bowel, mm. but it, it it was taking time to get into the bowel. Yeah, and getting trapped as well, and, and not get, being and able getting to, trapped to go through. Yeah, and what what consequently happened because the the bowel itself is a substantial muscle. I've never never thought of it in in many respects, yeah. but it's a massive muscle, uh, mm. cylindrical in shape. Uh, and uh, it moves when it wants to move, not when you want it to. Yeah. Uh, and what consequently happened was, because the food wasn't passing through uh, properly, despite me taking Senecot and other uh, other medications. So that's medications to help, just for people who don't know, Dad, so I'm just going to say that. So that's medications yeah. to help people, in a sense, have regular bowel movements. Yeah. So it's something that goes through your system. Okay, carry yeah. on. Uh, what was happening was th there was nothing coming out, or if it was coming out, it was coming out uh, as a liquid, as opposed to mm. as, as opposed to solid. Uh, but what subsequently happened was my stomach became so rounded, I looked like a barrel uh, or, a, or a balloon, and I was ready to pop at any point. And uh, Pauline insisted that I go to the casualty, which I did. Uh, and the the doctors that, that were there were, were quite surprised at how distended my stomach was. Yeah. Uh, you know, from, from having a 36, 38-inch waist, I was probably in a 49, 50. Well, I was going to say, Dad, you looked like you were pregnant with twins or triplets. Yeah. It was – your stomach was massive. And you, what was strange as well is that it had swollen so much – that we could see some of the veins, some sort of some of yeah. you, some of the veins on the top of your stomach, and we could see the blood, in a sense, pulsing through this because um, your stomach had been stretched so tight. It was yeah. it was incredible to see. Yeah, well, they, they said if it had popped, uh, the likelihood is I wouldn't be here. Yeah, uh, because the, the the infection would set in, no doubt, set in. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, it would be an awful difficult thing to sort of contend with yeah. but i was frightened of going in for an operation of course uh so i said well is there anything we can do in the meantime they said well we'll deflate it uh so they did that uh well, i won't tell you how but they did that yeah <laughs> we um, won't go into those bits i know you know let's just <laughs> the listeners don't need to know <laughs> and they kept they kept me in overnight so to speak Mm. And the following morning, I'd blown back up again. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily going to go away very easily. But I wasn't convinced an operation was necessary at this time. I was thinking more or less, let's just bind our time and see what see what happens. Yeah. Uh, this anyway. kept happening over six months, didn't it? It just kept happening yeah. again and again. You were maybe in A&E twice a week. It could Then maybe it was once every three weeks. And it just non-stopped. But then I say in December, it's it really came to a point where they said, right, that's it. And they, 
they remove part of your bowel, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. Fit a stove bag. Yeah. In fact, I I had eight eight emergency admissions. Yeah. Throughout that particular period of a year, until the last time I went in. Uh, the last time I went in, uh, the doctors I think had said, "Enough's enough." Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to do something about it. The the problem being, of course, with being Parkinson's. Your medications have got to be taken on time. Yeah. Uh, and having an operation doesn't prevent you from having your medication. No. But my medication was in tablet form. Yeah. And, of course, they can't feed tablets through a drip. Mm -hmm. So my surgery had to be planned so that I would be awake to be able to take my medication before the surgery started because it was expected to last five or six hours. Yeah. Uh, I had to have my tablets before I started and they had to get to work quickly so they could get their operation dealt with and I'm back on the ward again in time to take my next time, my next dose of medication. Yeah. So it wasn't a case, an, an, emergency, an emergency admission wouldn't allow that because one of the things they needed was to make sure that there was sufficient staff on duty, yeah. su sufficient specialists on duty to be able to call on. Yeah. Uh, if if something happened during surgery, and the only way they could do that was by having it done in in York. Yeah. Uh, so, on this last occasion when I was taken into Scarborough, they said you're not going home, you're going to York. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I had the operation done, and uh, to be honest, it was is quite an easy operation, and the the recovery was quite quite easy as well. Yeah. But there's been there's been complications since. Yeah, you've got a you've you've got a stoma bag now, and I know that's having mm. a while to adjust to it because again, you know, with the the taking care of a stoma bag, the fact that you have to obviously spray a liquid onto the area to sort of like, um, I think that's to get the stoma bag itself on and off, isn't it? But then you have to clean it. Obviously, while you're doing that while having tremors, that's not necessarily the easiest thing. I know you've obviously developed a hernia in the area as well, so yeah. so you now have a hernia belt, but um. I think a big thing as well, sort of like that's coming up that is worthwhile chatting about. Um, in five days' time, you are due to travel to Newcastle, which is about two and a half hours away from us, for deep brain stimulation surgery. So you have been in isolation for the last two weeks as a just-in-case, especially with coronavirus. Um, obviously, there is a concern, and, and the problem that we have as well, very much so, is that none of us are allowed to... Um, sorry, my, for anybody listening, my six-year-old is just doing a little accompaniment harmony in the background there, uh, is that... Um, Obviously, we can't go with you, especially with all the lockdowns and everything. And I think we've had about three weeks notice from them calling to say, you're going to have the surgery in three weeks' time. So it's all a bit intense. I know you and mum are absolutely calm as anything. I am panicking like mad. It is the only thing I'm able to think about at the moment. And what's going to happen is with the deep brain um, stimulation surgery, for anybody who's not sure about what happens is, Basically, my dad will be taken into um, into surgery. There will be um, two holes um, placed into, I believe, his skull and his brain, at which point wires are then going to be inserted through his brain and will go down through his neck area into kind of a small gadget within his chest. Um, you've obviously been told a long, long list of things that could go potentially wrong, Dad. And and I know that obviously as well, I believe for this operation, you're going to need to be awake and that's not 
something that I think anyone in this situation would find the the most um, thrilling of things to be doing. Um, how are you feeling about it all? I'm quite uh, quite upbeat, really. I'm looking forward to it. I love the fact I'm that sorry. you you're a mum. No, I love the fact that you and mum are so calm, and I'm just there. Like, I haven't even spoken to to Susie, my sister, yet. But I know me and Susie are just going to be absolutely. For, for the day before, the day of, and the day after, we're going to be absolutely beside ourselves. And you and mum are just like, yeah, it's, it's just like you're going for an eye checkup or something. You're both just like, yeah. Well, well I, think I, I think I hold the world record for the most amount operations. of op <laughs> most operations ever done in Scarborough Hospital on one person. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because as well as all this, I know you have had a hiatus hernia. Um, I know that there obviously is a few different <laughs> operations that you've had, kidney stones you've had. I know as well, just for interesting sake for everybody, that your heart is in slightly the wrong position as well. It's more yeah. central to your chest rather than where it should be. So so you're just absolutely kind of and a... I've, I think you're a surgeon's dream, Dad. I think yeah, it's a case of what's going to happen. <laughs> my, my heart's also tri-Gemini. Yep. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think you've got a bit of everything, haven't you? You've got a, a bit of everything bit of going. But I think, you know, so, so you're feeling obviously quite, in a sense, upbeat about it. Usually with these operations, the partner, so mum would usually stay um, in a hotel nearby. Mm. She'd be given accommodation. Again, with the lockdown and everything, that's going to be um, probably not available. Uh, so you are going to be, obviously don't want to suddenly switch the way your mindset is, but, you know, obviously you are going to be on your own. You are traveling that distance and, and unfortunately, we can't be there with you. And it's, it feels um, very strange that I'm not going to be able to, to give you a hug beforehand before you go. Um, obviously, I have brought the boys to see you this morning. So we've all been in the garden. So you can see them playing and, uh, and have sort of, a, in a sense, a bit of time with them, even though we did um, obviously keep you inside so you could just see them through the windows. Um, I suppose the next thing is just to explain to everybody as well, the next stages of the, the brain surgery is that... Um, it, it doesn't just happen and that's it. So the, sorry, the average is that I think that they say it's about 18 months for the full recovery to happen after the brain surgery. So after you've had it, um, you'll be in hospital for, for obviously a little bit, I think possibly a short amount of time because with everything going on coronavirus, they just want you home as quickly as possible. Um, but they'll, in a sense, leave you alone for, for a few weeks or so, just let everything settle down, let your body adjust to the fact that it's obviously had a very, very major surgery. And then every, from then, sorry, every two weeks or so you will need to travel to Newcastle for them to tweak the settings of these um these this kind of gadget that's going to be within you to see if it helps or doesn't help your symptoms with the Parkinson's now something to bear in mind when people are having this thing is that you know you could go for this treatment and they could do the tweak and you could feel amazing and so for the next two weeks you're going to feel fantastic you could then go back at the end of that two weeks they could do another tweak and you could feel dreadful absolutely horrendous and you will not be able to have that setting changed until two weeks time and uh, it's gonna say carry on i mean there's there's obviously i'm saying all this is probably people thinking is it worth it but the there are a lot of people obviously who've had this surgery and i know you've seen some of them speak dad and you've seen that benefit that they've had and and it's something that you really want to 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 do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I should have had this operation back in May, but because of COVID, it's been yeah. been put back. Uh, but uh, I'm not not asleep all of the time, awake all of the time during the operation. Okay. There's going to be a period of time when I will be asleep, and they'll wake me up. Uh, 
to to test it. Yeah. You know, to to switch it on and see see what the reaction is in in the brain, uh, and then to turn it off because what with like with any surgery, as you say, there there's the after effects of surgery. Me, there's likely to be a swelling on the brain, yeah, uh, which they'll have to sort of deal with. Uh, it'll have to be dealt with, uh, and just to allow the the things to settle down. Yeah. The thing that goes into your chest. It's like a pacemaker. If you imagine a, a heart pacemaker, yeah, it's it's similar sort of principle to that. It's called a neurotransmitter. Yeah. So the neurotransmitter stimulates the neurons uh, in the base of the brain where the dopamine is normally uh, is is normally sort of situated. Uh, and it can be tweaked up and down, and it's a rechargeable one. So I'll just build a plug a device onto me onto my chest, and it'll recharge it. Uh, Full on bionic uh, man, you get in there, aren't you? And, With your replacement hips as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about my hip. Yeah. <laughs> I just remembered yeah. as well. Actually, you've got that many things. <laughs> what 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 they give what they give you as well is a control device, yeah. which means you can turn yourself on and off. So I'm just waiting do for the boys. Let, I was going to say, do not let the grandkids <laughs> get a hold of that. Yeah. Where's granddad? Oh, he's asleep, man. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I can imagine him, uh, my eldest, who's nine, being extremely sensible. I can imagine the three-year-old is just going to run off with it. And uh, yeah. maybe like my nieces, maybe hide the remote behind the uh, radiator for a little while for you as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, I'm sure everybody listening just you know is giving you the most biggest amounts of positivity and uh just don't worry i'm going to keep mum distracted while you're away obviously i'll mm -hmm. throw some grandchildren at her so she can be well and truly distracted um and yeah just yeah i've got absolutely got my fingers crossed that everything's gonna go well for your yeah. dad and that it's gonna it's gonna give you kind of the the results that you're hoping for and yeah. hopefully um what we'll do is every now and then we will have you back on the podcast so we can talk about um, what everything's like post-surgery how you're feeling and and different things like that yeah if, if you're happy to do that yeah, I'm, yeah. will do okay just, so go on just just one thing yeah uh, i mean I've, I've opened up a fair bit today yeah not not everything but i've opened up a fair bit you've done but lots dad it might seem as if i'm an upbeat sort of person i try to be yeah. i can be i can be as miserable as sin <laughs> uh but the, but the bottom yeah. line the bottom line with this is uh, I've forgotten what it feels like to be well. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll say nothing more. Okay. Oh, I think that's, that's probably a perfect way to sort of end that then, Dad. Yeah. Um, so, as you know, because I know you listen to all my podcasts because you're my dad and you do that. Hmm. We have a truth or lie feature. Now, I don't have one for the last episode, so you're kind of kickstarting the next one. And obviously, there was a very, very clear topic that was going to be for your truth or lie. So what I would like to do this time is for, us, for people to decide if we're telling the truth or lying about what our favorite James Bond films are. Uh -huh. So what is your favorite James Bond film, Dad? Uh... I suppose it's it's got to be Goldfinger. Yeah, it was the first one I ever saw, Very and it good. just it just took me into a dream world. 
you know, I wanted to be James Bond. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And um, I'm going to say that mine is, I'm going to say Quantum of Solace. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you so much, Dad, for joining me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be back next week chatting with Simone Kiriaku from FT Advisor about dodgy lead generation firms and the steps that the industry is taking to tackle them and also reflecting on their recent diversity and inclusion awards. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit our website www.practical-protection.co.uk. And please also don't forget that if you listen to this, um, especially if you're in the insurance side of things, you can claim a CPD certificate for this too. You can send me a message or um, go to the website. Thank you, Dad. Bye, everyone. Bye, Dad. Bye, darling.